0: Welcome to the Music Ed Forward podcast, transforming students, teachers, and communities through music education. My name is Nisa Brown from Music Ed Forward, musicedforward.com. You can also follow on Music Ed Forward on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Welcome to Episode 1, The Future of Music Education, Part 1, Beyond Scope and Sequence. This is a series of three episodes on some of the greatest shifts I'm seeing in music ed right now, what they are, why they matter, and how to apply them in your classroom. Each episode will have a story, some theory, some specific actionable takeaways, and each episode will stand on its own, but together they'll certainly amplify one another. So for this episode, I'm going to jump in with some radical honesty, which is important. If there's anything I've learned, it's that I learn the most when I stay humble and learn to listen. So this story goes back to a conversation with a curriculum director that I had. At the time, I was more than 10 years into my teaching career. Uh, I'd had success in my classroom. I was an adjunct professor, uh, was a clinician, staff developer, a team leader, and a consultant. So I was doing all of those things. And um, found myself having a conversation with a curriculum director who I really respect uh, to this day, really respect and certainly did at the time. We're talking about Atlas curriculum mapping software, which you may or may not be familiar with. And if you aren't, it's a a way to document curriculum, what's important in curriculum, um, what are the most important uh, things that we do with students um, to help us out, to help our teams out, but then also to um, pass on to the next person, let's say, if we leave the school, that this is a documentation of, of what's happened in the classroom and an expectation moving forward. So we were talking about uh, Atlas curriculum mapping software, and I just said that it didn't work for music teachers. Um, and that's something that I've heard from lots of teachers all over the world. That this this format just doesn't work because um, we have a spiral scope and sequence. Um, really, we're teaching everything all the time. You know, we're teaching uh, a progression of rhythm, a progression of melody, a progression of meter and time signatures, We're teaching everything all the time. And she looked at me with this big smile on her face and she said, I sure hope so. And then there was this silence. You know, the kind of expectant silence that, like, the best part was about to happen? Something was going to happen next? But I didn't have anything left to say. All I had to say was, this doesn't work for us, and we're teaching everything all the time. But she was holding space for something more. However, I didn't really know how to continue the conversation. And when she saw that I didn't know how to integrate the thinking, um, she started talking with me about other content areas, like math teachers and writing teachers, who also had spiral scope and sequences, but they also had units of study. So you might be thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, here we go again, music is different. And I've said that many, many times and walked away. But I trusted her. And I trusted her question. And I was ready to learn. So I decided to try a different approach. And I got really quiet. And I listened a lot louder than I talked when it came to talking about curriculum and Atlas. And honestly, I would always rather figure something out for myself than have someone tell me how to do it, always. So I'd rather be at the front end of something figuring it out than have somebody say, this is the way you're supposed to do it. So I started investigating. I started asking people that I trust who weren't trusted, who, who weren't music teachers, how do you define a unit of study? How do you choose a unit of study while you're still continuing this seamless scope and sequence? How do you block off a period of time, say six weeks, nine weeks, and give that unit some cohesive meaningfulness while still teaching scope and sequence and I listened to their answers and then I asked another teacher and I just listened and I looked at more curriculum maps for other content areas and I asked the curriculum director more questions and I asked really smart flexible thinking music teachers and I listened so now I feel like I should take a step back so what do we mean when we say scope and sequence so usually what scope and sequence means is it's the basic knowledge, often the nouns and the standards, that we're trying to teach. So, for example, rhythm. A scope and sequence will outline what each grade level or ensemble will be working on in terms of rhythm. Over the years, the rhythmic complexity will increase. That's the spiral nature of the curriculum. And of course, we do the same thing with other elements of music, too, like melody, pitch, harmony, meter, form, dynamics, tempo, texture, timbre, tone, color, etc. And we have multiple knowledge streams moving forward at one time. This is often called a scope and sequence. And my relationship with scope and sequence? Well, I think it was a bit unhumble, certainly. I hope it's more humble now. To a certain extent, I kind of saw myself as this, the queen of scope and sequence, All not, although not the only queen, to be sure. Um, I, I did my undergraduate degree uh, at the Hart School with John Feyerabend, um, and that's how I started. He uh, has a very sequential approach to learning, um, rhythmically and melodically specifically, although in other areas as well. And I've literally never known music education without a solid scope and sequence. So straight out of college, my first year out of college, I was hired to build a program at a brand new school. I had never had a a music education program before. And um, I built a scope and sequence from the ground up. And I had the tools to do that um, straight out of college. So after my first year of teaching, I took my Kodai Levels. And for three summers after I graduated college, while I was teaching during the year, I did my Kodai levels. And I started teaching in a Kodai levels program when I was 27 years old. Um, Scope and sequence is really all I've ever known. And I was really proud of that. I was really proud that I had a solid scope and sequence and that my kids continued to learn um, at uh, higher and higher levels, the things that I thought were really, really important every year. So let's go back to that conversation with the curriculum director. What she was asking me to do was to create units, maybe a quarter in length, nine weeks or so in length. And I was saying that I think in year long units, like eight of them at the same time. I had a year long rhythmic unit, a year long melodic unit, a year long harmony unit, a year long meter unit. Form, tempics, t- t- dynamics, tempo, texture, timbre, tone color, because I'm teaching all of them at the same time. And just like math teachers, it's the same. However, when I thought about it, just learning how to operate fractions without learning why they matter or how to apply them in the outside world certainly would have been a disappointment to me. And maybe that's how I learned fractions. I don't remember exactly. And it would surely lead to the question, as a student, why do we have to learn this? And to a certain extent, that question is justified in my mind. It's important for kids to see connections between what they're learning and why it matters. So, given all of those factors, here's how I've come to see it, and here's how it was implemented in my classroom. I took the first nine-ish weeks of the year, and I grouped it into a meaningful, musical, unit, where students used whatever elements of the scope and sequence they were studying to understand, understand is the key word here, why those elements of music mattered. How did performers use them? What did composers use them for? Which elements of music might help you communicate some kind of message or or tell a story? In other words, why do the concepts in the scope and sequence matter? How can I use them? And how might different elements impact what I say or how I say it as a performer or as a composer. I've come to see that it's not just about the what, the nouns, the elements of music, the scope and sequence. And it's not even just about the verbs or the skills, the ability to do the nouns. For example, doing melody could be assessed by the ability to sing in tune. But what I've come to understand is that it's about the reasoning, and for students, the understanding of why those things make a difference, and ultimately the ability to use the knowledge, or the nouns, and the skills, the verbs, to be an intentional, inspired, communicative musician. A specific example from my own elementary classroom, but one that you could certainly scale all the way up through high school, uh, is something like this. When students are in grade two, seven years old, um, we studied functional music. So what songs had specific roles or purposes in community? So how did we go about doing that? How, do, how did seven-year-olds understanding what made, understand what made music functional? So first we studied the elements of music. For example, tempo, dynamics, and style and articulation. And because it was at the beginning of the year, and these are young students, I reduced these elements of music, tempo, dynamics, style, and articulation, down to their comparative concepts. So basically, at the most simple level, tempo is about faster and slower. Dynamics are about louder and softer. Style and articulation are about smooth and choppy, or legato and staccato. So with that understanding, with those nouns, with those comparatives... With those concepts, we listened to various genres of functional music. So we listened to lullabies, work songs, game songs, uh, specific cultural songs that uh, carried tradition in them and were attached to tradition and meaning within the culture. And we talked about the function or the impact of the music. So which elements were present Which elements of music would produce which effect on the listener or the singer? So, for instance, if we were listening to a lullaby, we would look at the lullaby and we would say, which elements are present in the lullaby? Which elements of music? Well... It certainly is soft, so the dynamics are there, and it's pretty slow, so that would be the tempo piece. And it's very smooth, so that's the style and the articulation piece. So at first, it was just an identification of, hey, what is in this song? And then, eventually, we talked about what's the impact of uh, on the performer, or what's the impact on the listener, of the fact that this song is slow, smooth, and soft. Finally, at the end of the unit, the students submitted a song um, using a a podcasting app um, that helped them in their family or community, and oftentimes their families helped them with this. And then they analyzed why that music impacted them as it did. So how did it help them? What elements of music were present and what impact did they have on the student? And then they did a Venn diagram and they compared that with a friend's song. So yes, we reviewed the elements of music. Yes, we practiced multiple elements of music of uh, multiple elements within the scope and sequence at one time. Yes, within that unit, we danced, we sang, we played instruments in the unit. Yes, we improvised, we arranged, and we composed in grade two appropriate ways. And at the end of the unit, the kids used the elements we studied in a way that asked them to use more than just the knowledge and the skills but also the reasoning to understand why those elements of music mattered and what difference they made in the lives of their families and communities. At this point, I would love to invite you to reflect a little bit on your own classroom and think about, right now, what are your students studying? Maybe you choose a grade level or you choose a specific ensemble or a specific course. What are the elements of music that your students are studying? What are the nouns that they're working on? What is the scope and sequence that you are addressing right now with students in one of your classes? And then to consider what students are doing with that knowledge. How are you asking them to demonstrate that they know those things? What are you asking them to do? Those would be the verbs. So singing, playing, arranging, composing. And then, moving beyond the scope and sequence, moving beyond the skills, thinking about what reasoning are you asking them to do? What meaning making are you asking them to do? What do they understand about their own ways of making meaning as a responder to music? When they hear music, do they understand what makes them feel or think a certain way? As a performer, do they make intentional performance choices at an age-appropriate level, of course, to communicate what it is they're trying to say to the audience? And if they are creating music, are they consciously making choices with an intention to create something else, with an intention to communicate some kind of meaning or story to the audience? These are just some examples of how you can move from a focus on scope and sequence or knowledge and skills more towards uh, a meaning-making or an understanding-based approach to music education. So think about what that could be in your classroom, and maybe in the next day or week, tweak one activity just a little bit. Have a short conversation at an age-appropriate level with your students about why these elements of music matter. What difference do they make? If you choose this or you choose this, what's the impact on the audience? What's the impact on the performer? Or how do you as a responder uh, experience the music differently if one artistic choice is made using one element of music or if a different one is made? Summarizing the episode one of the future of music education beyond scope and sequence. Scope and sequence is just the beginning. It's not the end of the journey. And yes, it is possible and indeed preferable to teach one unit at a time. And yes, that requires us to think at a more meta level about what we want students to learn. The reasons that it's preferable to teach more than one unit at a time in an integrated fashion where students need to make meaning and attach to learning outside of the classroom is actually brain-based, and we'll talk about that more in a future episode. So that's the perfect segue into the next episode. What is it that understanding and transfer mean? How does it help make learning meaningful for students? And what's the role of process in understanding and transfer? Episode two will address all of this and more. If this podcast interests you today, Head on over to musicedforward.com forward slash podcast forward slash one to grab your free copy of the Ultimate Curriculum Design Toolkit for Music Education. musicedforward.com forward slash podcast forward slash one. And if you want to make sure you catch the next episode, please remember to subscribe to the Music Ed Forward podcast on your chosen platform. Until then, let's keep the conversation going. Thanks for joining me for the Music Ed Forward podcast, transforming students, teachers, and communities through music education.